Minister of Weather and Twitter gaffes is trying to blackmail the provinces with 11 billion gazillion dollars of their own money. Will the provinces cave to Catherine McKenna's extortion demands? Or will they tell her to stick her carbon tax in a jet engine and take off? It's August 31st, I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, and you're watching The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign, and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government for why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. The federal government is now trying to blackmail the provinces into supporting a carbon tax you know, with their very own money. Canada's gaff-prone environment minister, Catherine McKenna, says that provinces who don't sign up to her plan to deal with climate change will now forfeit their share of her $2 billion federal low-carbon economy fund. So far, McKenna is trying to extort support from the likes of Saskatchewan, Ontario, New Brunswick, and unbelievably now Alberta. But before you Albertans get too excited, Alberta's Premier Rachel Notley has said that she'll abandon the federal climate plan until Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline sees some firmer help from the feds. But you know what, Rachel Notley, she's still keeping her carbon tax firmly in place. So really, for Alberta taxpayers like me, it doesn't make any difference whether or not it's Rachel Notley's face on my carbon tax bill or Catherine McKenna's, it is literally all the same to me. But I think all these demands from Catherine McKenna might be to save her job in cabinet. You see, Trudeau just removed climate change from the official name of Catherine McKenna's cabinet committee on the environment. Her baby, her climate change, her reason to be, it's erased. Maybe Trudeau's getting ready to erase McKenna from cabinet. You know what? Here's hoping. But the amount of money McKenna is trying to use to gang press provinces into saving her job might be the only thing she really knows. Everything else is just her making it up, blaming climate change for things she doesn't quite understand, like <laughs> the economy or like science. Three weeks ago in BC at a cabinet retreat, McKenna was so sure she had the reason for this year's BC forest fires. Figured out, just watch. Well, I've now been in British Columbia for much of this week and certainly seeing the forest fires uh, across British Columbia um, just demonstrates that climate change is having a real impact on Canadians. You see, McKenna smelled smoke and when there's smoke, there's fire and when there's fire, there's oh, climate change. Except well before that statement from the brainiac McKenna, RCMP investigators had already determined that many of the wildfires plaguing the Okanagan were the result of arson. Apparently, climate change causes pyromania, too. Is there absolutely nothing that climate change cannot do? But as recently as just a few days ago, Catherine McKenna was saying that if carbon tax skeptics didn't get on board with her plan to tax the air to change the weather, they'd be losing out on an impossible sum of money, a completely different amount than what she's blackmailing us with now. McKenna tweeted this out last week. Would also be good if the federal conservatives had a plan to tackle climate change. Like the Harper government, they fail to understand the real cost of climate change to Canadians, from extreme heat to fires to flooding and the 30 trillion opportunity 
of climate change. Let me say that again for you. $30 trillion. That's a lot of money. In fact, it's so much money, it's around 15 times the size of the entire Canadian economy. How much scrutiny do you think McKenna got from the mainstream media for her 11 billion trillion carbon tax opportunity gaffe? You know it's next to nothing, of course, right? Now, back in April of 2016, McKenna told the World Bank Group Carbon Pricing Leadership Coalition that climate change was a $3 trillion opportunity. Two years later, in April of 2018, in a press release from her very own ministry, McKenna said that climate change would open up nearly $23 trillion in opportunity. By July, though, of 2018, McKenna told CBC's As It Happens that climate change was a $1 trillion opportunity. She can't keep her BS straight. But you, dear citizen, you're the dumb one if you don't want to pay a carbon tax based on McKenna pulling numbers just out of the ether. McKenna's tried her hand at passing off other exorbitant amounts that we would lose without a carbon tax, and no one really ever seemed to hold her accountable for making up these ridiculous figures. So why not just go all in and say, like, $30 trillion? McKenna's just making things up. The UN could sell her a bag of magic beans, and when they didn't grow, she'd blame climate change, right? But Canadians aren't buying it. Canadians are smart enough to realize that they save money by not giving the government their money in the form of a carbon tax or any other tax, regardless of what Catherine McKenna says. Our $2 trillion economy will not grow to $30 trillion because of McKenna's virtue tax. But don't you dare criticize McKenna about it. She's got a rule about that. Again, back to McKenna's disaster Twitter account. When Lisa Raitt said at the Conservative Convention in Halifax that she would never be allowed in the Liberal Party because when rate succeeds, she doesn't want it to be because of some quota from the Prime Minister's office. Rate said she wants to succeed because she earned it. McKenna chimed in, I suppose self-identifying as one of those quota hires Rate was referring to. So maybe McKenna's becoming self-aware. That's good, I guess, but not really, because McKenna called the comment about earning success a really strange comment. McKenna said, Women should be supporting women from all parties, not trying to diminish them and their achievements. Rachel Harder, the hardworking millennial conservative MP the Liberals blocked from sitting on the Status of Women Committee because she may or may not believe that life begins at conception, was unavailable for comment. Stay with me. A much smarter woman joins me up next after the break. Congratulations, taxpayers. You bought yourself a pipeline that may never get built. Remember this photograph here? It's of Rachel Notley and Justin Trudeau's infrastructure minister, Amarjeet Sohi, and they're, they're celebrating what's supposed to be the groundbreaking, the start of construction on the Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Oh, but it wasn't groundbreaking. They were shoveling us a bunch of BS because 
Yesterday, the Supreme Court of Canada squashed the pipeline approval, sending it back to the drawing board. Now, joining me to discuss all this and more is one of my favorite, favorite conservative activists on the entire planet. She's a founder of Alberta Can't Wait. She's a founder of Safe Calgary. And she's a founder of Canadians for Democracy and Prosperity. Joining me now from Calgary is my friend, Prem Singh. Hey, Prem, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Sheila. Now, on, on this bad day for Alberta and bad day for Canada. Yeah, you know, it is. It, we're on the hook now for something that costs roughly $8 billion. And we don't know if it's ever going to get built. The pipeline approval process has already taken five years. And the Supreme Court of Canada just, just sent it back to the drawing board. If the Supreme Court of Canada can overrule these decisions, why do we have a National Energy Board at all? Well, exactly. I mean, this is a very, it's a terrible, terrible day for Canadian taxpayers who invested billions of dollars in overpaying for this pipeline when a private sector company had the wherewithal to do it and wanted to do it. Delay after delay. I mean, now we're starting from scratch again. So even if the government can't get pipelines because they're overregulated to the point that they can't succeed, why would anyone invest in Canada? Between our provincial government, First Nation bands, environmentalists, hostile federal, federal governments, ever-changing regulatory regimes and assessment processes, now the Court of Appeals, there's zero investment certainty. You know, I was reading through some of the Supreme Court of Canada's decision, and they said that the primary problem in all of this happened on Justin Trudeau's watch. They said uh, the consultation process part three and four with Aboriginal groups was inadequate. Well, that's Justin Trudeau's thing. Um, yeah, I mean, where, where do we go? What's this definition of consultation? Like, no project's ever going to please every single person. The Court of Appeals said insufficient consultation occurred. How much consultation will it take to please the court? The Supreme Court already said the consultation need not be perfect, except when it does, apparently, like today. And, and it's important to note this is the same judge as the Northern Gateway. Yeah, you know what, and I was reading somewhere that two of three of the judges that ruled on this were appointed under Harper. So I think as Canadians, we have to have a really serious conversation the way they have in the United States about appointing activist judges to Parliament or to the court who are overriding the will of Parliament and the will of the people. Definitely, definitely. I mean, what's happened, we're always playing politics, not we, but our political parties and the politicians. They're always playing politics instead of doing the right thing. The real winners today are the Kinder Morgan shareholders and the executives that got millions of dollars in bonuses. They offloaded Trans Mountain to Canadian taxpayers at such a huge valuation before the court decision. How convenient. I mean, they were the smartest guys in the room. My you with the Trudeau government that's not that hard but if you look today all of the Canadian oil stocks plummeted our differential is now the highest it's been since 2013 the WCS to WTI differential that it's now $31 I mean SEPA our Energy Pipeline Association, they already testified that under Bill C-69, which hasn't even become a law, no pipelines would ever go ahead. Well, 
we don't even need that bill. I mean, it's it's already happening. I mean, we've criticized the Trudeau Liberals and the NDP on this from day one. I mean, frankly, in my opinion, it was all a facade, and they're probably dancing secretly behind closed doors because we both know and we've seen how Justin and Notley like to dance. But if this was happening in India or China, do you think this would be happening? They would have built it 10 times the project in like one-tenth of the time without any problems. Well, it just would have happened. Well, and we hear this all the time. We hear Justin Trudeau saying, well, I didn't kill Northern Gateway. The court decided against Northern Gateway. They offload the... The, the responsibility. And, and the, the no. And the political exactly. hot potato of the no onto the court. That's right. Because they just want to maintain power and maintain votes, so they make it look like they're trying, but they're not. I mean, this was all a facade. I mean, all of our major parties support some Soviet-style protection for dairy farmers. The government, I, we, own an overpriced pipeline we can't build. And small groups are killing billions of investment in Canada. It's a double whammy for us with this week with Trans Mountain. We've yet to find out what's going to happen with NAFTA. I'm, I'm not too sure if uh, Christia put her sneakers on today or what, but we're the laughing stock of the world. Like, we're a country that's blessed with energy resources, and we shoot ourselves in the foot time after time. It's, I mean, I don't even know. It, it's... Day after day, it just keeps getting progressively worse. And that's why it's up to the grassroots. It's up to everyday Canadians to get engaged and hold our politicians and parties to account. I mean, Canada's closed for business. The biggest question on my mind today is can we survive? Can Federation, can Confederation survive this? Well, and and it's, it's a serious issue. I mean, you look on social media, you talk to people out on the street. Uh, everybody is talking about how Alberta and Saskatchewan have been taken advantage of, and, and they're like, now's the time. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing, I think I'm seeing a rise in Western alienation like I haven't seen in my entire lifetime. And, yeah. you know, when you talk to the old timers around, they'll say this is worse. This is worse. The sentiment yeah. that we are being taken advantage of by Confederation, it's worse now for um, a lot of people than it was under the National Energy Program. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, you, see, you... You see billions of dollars that weren't collected in taxes, the majority of which used to come from Alberta. You're going to see even more of that because I think a lot of executives downtown that I personally know, they're going to be like, you know what? I'm old enough. I'm out of here. Yeah. I don't need to, as much as we all love Calgary, as much as we all love Canada, there comes a point in time where there's the straw that breaks the camel's back. And I think this is, this is we're, we're pretty damn close to it all happening. And we won't just see one or two. It's going to be a mass exodus. It's going to be a mass exodus of established, you know, Canadian families leaving, plus a brain drain. Because who in their right mind wants to stay here? Now, uh, speaking of who in their right mind wants to stay here, do you think that uh, Amarjeet Sohi and Randy Boissonneau and Kent Hare, um, do you think they're going to stay in their role as MPs uh, for the Liberal Party in Alberta? Like, what does this, the demise of this pipeline really mean for them? 
I think, I mean, Amarjeet all he should stick to his million-dollar renovations of his office. But, <laughs> I mean, it's clear that he was made the resource minister just because of where he's situated, and they couldn't give that portfolio to Cantair right now. Cantair, on the window of his office, has a sign that says, Pipelines Approved. I saw that from a tweet online. Um, are they both going to be able to survive this? I don't know. They're going to spin it in a manner where they will say, oh, we've done everything, and they'll do the typical blame game, which they do for everything in this government, is that they'll blame Harper. That seems to be the easiest thing for them to do, is blaming Harper. I'm sure that if Christia Freeland uh, fails this week, she'll blame Harper for that too. You know, I was just going to say that because I saw a story with Bill Morneau, who is blaming Harper for this is saying that Harper's responsible for the flawed process, but why then did his government approve a pipeline to be built under a flawed process, and the Liberals changed the process halfway through the game anyways? Yeah, I think, you know, they have, the Liberals have their hands full with problems right now, and and our our key man, our Prime Minister, is again taking another personal day. I think Canadians need to question why is our Prime Minister absent? I mean, what is he doing? How many personal days? I know if I took that many personal days, I wouldn't be able to keep my lights on. I would not have, you know, it, it does not make any sense. Our governments need to run themselves like we run our own homes and our own businesses. And they're not because we pay for them to act this way. They're not celebrities. They're not people that we need to, like, bow down to. They're not special. And I think that's something in our next election, both provincially and federally, we need to realize that these people work for us. So they need to treat us with more more respect. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of all of our parties just doing what they want to do without any sort of respect to democracy. Well, and that is an excellent segue into me asking you about your latest project at Canadians for Democracy and Prosperity, because I think that's what you're trying to do. I think you're trying to hold the government to account, um, but you have some really exciting like thrilling for me things that you have in the works for Calgary if you're wanting to talk about them now's your chance sure um, we would like to educate the public and not just be hyper partisan about issues we just would like to educate people on things that they're interested in education electricity our resources you know our borders immigration yeah, and even just how people can get involved. Um, so we're trying to do that in preparation for the provincial and federal election. Obviously, we are fiscally conservative and we want to be more common sense than anything else. But we want to hold our politicians to account, regardless of who, which party brand they work under. You know, it's, it's more about politicians doing the right thing for our country and our province than just doing what keeps them in power. And I disagree with all these people that are, oh, well, we got to get into power. Right now, saying that isn't enough to compel the everyday person that, oh, well, we just got to get these guys out. We're going to be better. Well, better how? Give us some thought-provoking ideas. Give us, tell us how you're going to be better. Tell us how you're going to make politics 
better for everyone involved. And so we are, in addition to doing some online educational videos, we are doing some training. We did recently a training for, for youth, and we taught them political training, both uh, nation builder, social media training. They had practical experience, not just theoretical. We're going to be offering that up to corporations and others that are interested. And we are looking at having guest speakers, one every quarter. I'm excited to say our first guest speaker is Tucker Carlson. Fantastic. That's September, 20, September 22nd at Spruce Meadows, and you can contact us for more information and uh, we just would like to as I said get more Canadians engaged and hold everybody to account well everybody makes mistakes we're not gonna we don't expect politicians to be perfect by any means and I don't think that any Canadian is going to agree with their leader or their party a hundred percent of the time if you do that then you obviously have no free you're not a free thinker and you're not able to think for yourself so i think what we would like to do is promote civil discourse about issues that people are afraid to talk about but need to be talked about just like what's happened today because i do think it puts our country at a great risk of alienation on the western front and perhaps on the eastern front for their own reasons but we need to be able to talk about that as a country and not just do things because we need vote banks you know prem i just want to thank you for coming on the show and uh you are such a breath of fresh air in a world of quota hires you are truly an accomplished woman I'm sure a lot of people would disagree and would like me to just shut up, but I'm here now, so oh well. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, Prem. Up next, Thanks, up next, more after the break. Now, the last time I talked to my guest was in Halifax, and she was feeling a little dejected. Much like me, we both felt that the Conservative Party was shunning the most devoted part of its base, social conservatives like myself and like her. But after that night that we spoke, uh, the next day, some changes took place. The social conservative movement within the party out-organized the party members looking to keep them quiet and they had quite a few successes at the convention so joining me tonight to discuss all of those plus her plans for the future is christian broadcaster and author laura lynn tyler thompson hey laura lynn thanks for joining me Sheila, thank you. It is always a pleasure to talk to you. I love what you and Ezra stand for, which is truth. You uh, stand for justice and, uh, you know, and you uh, walk a very fine line between uh, all the stuff going on and what we actually should be looking at. So I really like it. There's no fake news at the Rebel and I love it. Well, thanks, Laura. Um, I wanted to talk to you about some of the uh, policy motions that were passed um, that are real successes for social conservatives, but some of them are just common sense things that shouldn't be controversial at all. For example, you and I were talking off camera about how the conservatives are trying to return government to uh, Stephen Harper's focus on uh, maternal health 
in the developing world as opposed to Justin Trudeau's focus on abortion in the developing world. Right now we spend about two-thirds of a billion dollars on just what I like to call abortion colonialism, but the Conservatives uh, have voted to remove that from official policy in government if they do form government in the future. Absolutely. And that was an amazing moment. I will tell you that the crowd cheered and it gave me hope again. It gave me hope for integrity and valuing life in our nation, which has become a topic that we don't even want to uh, bring up anymore. This was a moment where you could see the actual real grassroots of the Conservative Party rise in a standing ovation, cheering and clapping. It was an electric moment in that room and I'm so grateful and uh, you know I know that if we would just open this debate for talk you know just to be able to talk about it that I think that we could come to even more resolutions that are not uh, that are not you know um, unacceptable to the vast majority of the conservatives fiscal or social you know that we would um, open some debate I would really like to see us be able to talk about gender side that no children um, you know need to be uh, you know disposed of just because it's a baby girl or a baby boy and the parents didn't want that that seems wrong in this day and age isn't that something we could at least talk about also late-term abortions they don't have happen an awful lot but they do happen and can't we talk about how that baby is just a breath away you know these seem like like things that we should be able to discuss in this nation you know and you did you did mention late-term abortion the conservatives also passed a policy that would support legislation to give infants born alive uh life-saving measures so you know, and that's just not babies that are born alive, born preterm, but those are babies who survive abortions. And that does happen. Um, and those babies are denied um, life-saving measures even after they take their first breath. And the Conservatives have have passed a policy motion that says that they will support legislation that will provide life-saving measures to babies born alive. That shouldn't be controversial. If a baby's born alive, why can't we help them? I mean, isn't... I don't understand if the law is that if the baby's born alive and they're then they're human why aren't we providing life-saving care to them it shouldn't be controversial but it is should it be controversial it makes total sense to anyone who's a human being if you have a heart if you have empathy if you care about a baby this is not something uh, you know that you'd expect anyone to have an argument against and yet we do have that argument against that what is wrong with people I I've been off uh, uh, I've been asking the question lately you know what has happened has the world gone mad and and this is one of those things that it shouldn't be difficult, Sheila. Now, there was another uh, motion that was passed that I think is of particular interest to you because you also speak out quite loudly about uh, the introduction of gender theory uh, to our children before they're ready. Um, and presenting gender theory as fact instead of just a theory. And the Conservatives passed a motion, overwhelmingly passed a motion that would oppose any legislation that forces compelled speech. And this includes forced use of pronouns. 
Right. You know, it's interesting. Uh, what what the left wants is that they that we get in a lot of trouble, have to face tribunals, all kinds of things for misgendering. I mean, you can drive down the highway, give someone the finger, call them, you know, use the F bomb a hundred times. Uh, you can, in fact, be at a you know any office here where there's a fight going on, and you'll have the worst, most horrible things said to somebody, you know, in a fight in in an office environment, or how about a family environment? But God forbid that you misgender someone. And that you have to actually speak an untruth from your lips that you don't believe in that they are the opposite gender from what they're representing. Uh, that you you know that, that you can speak this um, that you have to be compelled to speak an untruth. How is that okay? Like we are not. This is Canada. This is where we respect everyone. This is where we respect diversity. We respect gays and lesbians and transsexuals and pansexuals. And we say, live your life and be free. But of course, I've spoken out a lot on the gender fluidity um, ideology that is being, uh, you know, absolutely put through all BC schools now. I think there's uh, some test cases in Alberta. By next September, one year from now, Alberta will be facing what we're facing, which is it goes into every school. And it, you know, when you think about the amount of abuse that is hurled at you or I online, they routinely call us, you know, the C word or all kinds of stuff. That's perfectly legal to call us those things. It's gross and, and it's uncivilized to call us those things. But that is perfectly legal. But I... If I misgender someone currently in Canada, that's a hate crime. I can have uh, my life ruined. I can be left in absolute financial ruin because I called someone he as opposed to she. And I'm supposed to know ahead of time what they prefer to be called. And, and you know, lives are ruined over this stuff. So I, I'm happy to see um, a boldness in the conservatives about this issue. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and these are things that made the room erupt. These are things that really brought everyone together uh, at the convention. And I've been a lifelong conservative, Sheila. My parents have been conservatives. My whole family, I have operated in conservative uh, communities. The, the thing is, is I was never really in the, uh, the political realm. I've always been doing television. And, you know, I'm a speaker and an author, a professional speaker for 15 years. Um, so it hasn't been my realm, but to get into that room and to feel that electricity that binds people over what is good was was very good. And I think that is a great segue into where I want to go next with you. And I want to talk about your future because you aren't in broadcast. Well, you are, I guess, still in broadcasting, but you've left your day job. Um, and I was curious about where you're going with your activism next. Right. Well, um, I've had to make some some big decisions. You see, uh, the party that I have been loyal to uh, has decided that they didn't, uh, you know, in all fairness, they didn't give me a waiver and they have every right to do that because I hadn't been a party member for six months. So they had every right to do that. So they said, no, we're not going to give you the waiver and you cannot run uh, for a member of parliament in New Westminster. And so that was interesting. Uh, then what they did was they acclaimed a young 23 year old who currently lives in Ottawa who did not get any of the 25 signatures uh, that is required in order to submit 
your application. And, uh, and so I guess what they did was they granted her a waiver of not um, fulfilling the requirements for the application. And I had to ask myself, so what is this about? And of course, I did describe on my previous interview that I really think it's about my activism. It's about uh, my, you know, standing very strong against, um, you know, sexual orientation and gender identity that is going into our schools. This this resource that is being taught to every kid. And I, and I, I said to them, I wrote them a very um, heartfelt letter. I said, you have been my party for my whole life. Are you not the party that will stand for the children? I travel with a transgender man and speak with a transgender guy. I am not a transphobe or a homophobe. But I do believe that you cannot indoctrinate kids with five transgender books. Let me show you what they are. My Princess Boy, I Am Jazz, Jacob's New Dress, all about transgender children. 10,000 dresses in which this boy for the entire um, for, for the book is misgendered as a her. His parents are made to look like complete bigots and nasty people. And of course, there's a read a crayon story. How many books on transgenderism does a elementary class need across the province? How many books on transgenderism? How about let's talk about being polite and having good, uh, you know, good morals. Uh, that would be a that would a conglomeration of all those kinds of books, not bullying. That would be great. But this is what they're doing, and I'll tell you what, Sheila. I will not be silent uh, silent on this matter. I will not bow to the ideology that is being put out in our nation. And I'm not afraid of being called names. And I'm not afraid of rejection by any party. I do not represent a party in my life. What I represent is my values and my traditions that are given to me, uh, given full right by Canada. So I represent every Canadian being able to live and to function according to their beliefs. Now, if you're uh, like uh, Morgan Auger, uh, uh, the vice president of the NDP, and you want to be a transsexual and you want to live uh, saying that you're a woman, I give all freedom for Morgan to live that way. But I also have the right to live according to my beliefs. And I especially have the right to teach my children those beliefs. And Morgan has the right to teach uh, his children those beliefs. That is a right of every Canadian. But we do not have the right, I don't believe, for state-run schools to be telling our kids that they can now uh, go up to a board and become, you know, and switch genders. That I'm standing against. So what I'll do in the future, I think that might have been your question, yep. Sheila, <laughs> is uh, I'm leaving all my options open. I believe that there is a lack of courage in this nation. People are unwilling to speak uh, against the LGBTQ who now rail against us. If we do not bow to their ideology, they become terrorists. They, they call our workplaces, they get us fired, they call us those horrible names you were talking about. And I don't think that's fair because I'm not a bully, but I think that they are bullies. I am not uh, into not being diversified and not accepting people as they are, but I think that they're not accepting of me and that's where this has crossed the line and that's where I'm going to make a stand. So right now I have some calls in and 
one thing that's interesting to me is I'm getting a lot of calls and people are beginning to ask me what are you going to do I can tell you right now that uh, I, I have some plans beginning to formulate and I'm ready to stand and I'm ready to to compel the nation to stand. We can't compel speech. We should never do that. But we should compel each other to stand up for our beliefs. You know, Laura Lynn, uh, I'm so sorry that the party disallowed your nomination, but I think you're like me and that you're still cheering for these conservatives to find some guts, to find uh, some ears to listen to the grassroots. And I think you're like me in that even though they might not like it, I think it's my job to drag them back right when everything else is dragging them to the left. Absolutely. And I think that um, if they see that their grassroots really wants to stand on an issue, that they uh, hopefully will have the courage to do that. I will tell you what I believe is being missed, and I want to help the Conservative Party right now. Let me tell you what they're missing, Sheila. They are missing that the grassroots moms and dads of this nation are beginning to freak out. You know why they're freaking out? Because Jacob's new dress is being read to their kids in kindergarten, which tells their little boy that they can wear a dress and become a girl. And, and when they're seeing all of this, my princess boy, you know, where the dad is just celebrating that his boy is wearing a little dress, I can tell you that the Sikhs, the Muslims, the Christians, and the Jews, the, the fathers, they're not my princess boy daddy right here. And they're saying, we don't want our little boys and girls uh, told that. And as they are finding that out, they are very upset. Who is the party who will stand for those parents to not have compelled indoctrination? Who is that party? And of course I've been on this bandwagon. I stand for everything else that conservatives stand for. I stand for fiscal responsibility, um, you know, and having parental rights, which they talk about, but we have been violated in this nation. I, I stand for uh, free speech, you know, and uh, Bill C-16, I'd like to see that um, overturned because we are putting our women, we need to respect women in this nation and um, we shouldn't be having uh, you know men who identify as women being put into rape shelters for instance and um, I just feel that uh, that it is time for us to all stand together and the Conservative Party that's my party in my heart there's no other party there's nobody else it's them it has to be. They've denied me to run in their party. And so I'm going to look at what I have to do from here on out. Well, Laurelyn, I, I hope that you get back in touch with me when you figure out a little bit more about your future. But boy, you know what? I love your fight. I'm so glad parents have you on their side. And I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Sheila. And just to let your viewers know that we are going from um, from province to province, from town to town. We're talking about this stuff. We're asking them to be courageous and not to be afraid. And I'm tired of seeing the fear in some of their eyes. Uh, I'll tell you, I will I will take the brunt of it. I, I will be called any name. All of you out there, you don't have to be called the names or be targeted because you will be targeted. You don't have to do that right now. But if you would come together and you would stand together, they can't can't, they can't kill us all you know they can just try to pick off one of us at a time uh, but if we stand together arm in arm I think that we're going to be able to make some changes and it is time for change because this cannot keep happening thank you Laura Lynn thank you Sheila more ahead up after the break
part of the show where Ezra normally reads his hate mail. Now, I'm not going to read hate mail, but I am going to read mail that I got that was critical of my opinions and my reporting on supply management. After our coverage in Halifax, I received this email from Emily. She's from New Brunswick. Emily wrote to me and said, have supported and subscribed to The Rebel for many years. I have encouraged many friends and contacts to support you and watch your reporting. And I signed many of your petitions, including the one for you to be allowed into the Halifax Conservative Party Convention. I tried to find you in Halifax. I did not because I wanted to meet you in person and tell you I appreciate your work. I did not know about your hospitality room until too late. I still support you at the moment. On our way home, I listened to your wrap-up on my iPad. I can hardly believe that you have stooped to CBC-like reporting. For all the good things that happened at the convention, and you chose to present a one-sided tirade against many hard-working farmers. And no, it is not a Quebec cartel. My son milks 40 herd of jerseys here in New Brunswick. He is honest and hardworking and gets his product to market in a safe, timely fashion. I'm not going to argue the pros and cons of supply management here. The system may not be perfect, but it is a good system. It is good for the large farmer and equally as good for the small farmer. I would ask that you do some fair reporting. You do not even try to show both sides. You just stooped to childish name-calling. Well, Emily, hi, let me speak directly to you. First off, I want to thank you for your support in the past and hopefully going forward. And I wanted to thank you for taking the time to write to me so that at least I have the opportunity to tell you why I hold the opinions that I do. Let me explain that I have examined supply management for many years, and I'm a farmer myself, so more than anybody else in all of the media, I understand the pressures put on farmers. And just because I've come to a different conclusion about supply management, well, that doesn't mean that I'm doing CBC-style reporting. I reject that conclusion wholeheartedly. It is not CBC-style reporting to say that the majority of milk producers in this country are in Quebec and Ontario. Milk.ca data reflects those findings. Now, we both know there are many other farmers in this country who produce highly perishable foodstuffs in a competitive international marketplace, competing with cheaper American labor and their cheaper American input costs, coping with daily price fluctuations, managing high transportation and storage logistics, and they do it without price protection for themselves, and they produce a product that, in spite of all those other factors, consumers still think is world-class, and it's something that consumers want to buy. I myself am a price taker on the international market. I'm not a price maker. I am pro-farmer. I'm the most pro-farmer journalist in all of Canadian media, and my stories are often shaped by the six generations of my family that live on the land that I still farm. And I've also been very poor, so I'm vehemently pro-consumer, which is why I am anti-carbon tax, anti-tariff, anti-wheat board, anti-central control, pro-free trade, pro-oil and gas, pro-small business. And I firmly believe in the universal conservative principle that competition makes everyone better and helps the poor. Like roughly 50% of the Conservative Party of Canada's membership, I am anti-supply management. And I hold 
a very mainstream opinion within the conservative movement on that. But more than anything, this, like any other issue, should not be off-limits for discussion amongst the membership of the party, nor should it be directed from outside the membership by a very small but very powerful lobby group, as was revealed in those dairy lobby briefing notes. If an environmentalist organization wielded that much power within the Liberal Party of Canada, and we all somehow knew about it, our hair would be on fire over it. I believe in Canadian farmers, and I think that Canadian farmers are the best farmers on the planet. Because of that, I firmly believe that they can compete and succeed. I simply hold a different opinion than you. And for now, although that's changing quickly, the Conservative movement in Canada has been the one movement that supported a diversity of opinion and the free and liberal exchange of ideas. If I wanted to think the same as everyone else and report a party line verbatim, well, you know what, I'd be a liberal and I'd work for the CBC. I've been a conservative activist my entire adult life and I'm cheering for Andrew Scheer despite his petty grievances against me. I want him to be ecumenical towards the Bernier folk and tell them that there's a place for them within the Conservative Party. The party needs the Bernier folk to win. I'm not seeing that happen, and I am disappointed because I know that means at least another four more years in the wilderness for Conservative Canadians. Thanks, Emily, again, for reaching out and giving me this opportunity to explain my side. Well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to an inadvertently all-female Ezra Levant show, and I want to thank everybody in Rebel World Headquarters in Toronto for turning this Made in Alberta production into a watchable show. Ezra's back on Monday with an all-new show, and remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think.